Well, few in this world can survive over 50 years in showbiz, but my next guest is one of them. Now starting out on his sixth decade as a star-studded entertainer, he certainly stood the test of time, sounding as good today as he did 50 years ago. Red Hurley, good morning to you. Good morning to you. I can't believe when you said 50 years gone. I, <laughs> I, I really just can't believe it sometimes. Uh, it seems like yesterday. We're going to chat about that. But first, we're going to hear your new single. This is The Keeper of the Stars. You're all I'll ever need Thanks to the Keeper of the Stars You're all I'll ever need Thanks to the Keeper of the Stars That's an incredibly beautiful song, right? The Keeper of the Stars. I know you recorded it some time back, but you just released it now. Why is that? Well, a guy who gave it to me, his name is Stan Corbett, and he lived in Houston, Texas. And he rang me one day and he said, I have a, a real nice kind of a half country, half Garth Brooks-ish kind of a song that he said, I think would be great for you. So I rang Andy O'Callaghan and I said, what do you think of this song, Andy? I think it's a terrific song with a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of t- touch up and s- different key. He says it could be a real good song. But it got lost in our uh, administration because there were so many other things going on at the time. And so we, we didn't try and release it properly. So the long and the short of it is we left it and we came back to it because so many people had asked us for a word, please do the Keeper of the Stars. And I couldn't get my head around why they all liked it. And it was just, the, it was a kind of a, an old-fashioned kind of song that we were going to try and make modern, which we'd achieved. So that's basically it. A lot of people wanted to hear it and we did it. Gorgeous song. It was so funny, just before I played it, you said, you can't believe it's 50 years you're in the business. <laughs> Does it seem like a blink in a way? It seems like a blink in, in the eye. I, I really feel sometimes that life has just passed your by so quickly. I get into my car, I go and do a show, maybe a Killarney or somewhere. I come home and it's another night gone, another night gone. And if you start to think about it, you say, Jesus, where is the the years going? Where are the years going? I feel like, sometimes I feel like I'm a young fella. And then I wake up and I know I'm not a young fella anymore. (laughs) Well, you look great. Can we go right back, Red? Yeah. Where did you grow up? And your name isn't Red. My name is Brian, Brian Vincent Hurley. And I remember uh, Derek Mills from the BBC. I used to work over there for them. He didn't want to know about Red Hurley. He wanted to know about Brian Vincent Hurley. Derek was the producer for Radio 2, but he wouldn't hear tell of Red Hurley. He wanted Brian Hurley or nothing. And so we were Brian Hurley on BBC Radio 2 and Red Hurley on RTE Radio 1. Why did he not like Red Hurley? Just the name? He didn't like the the connotations of it and it had country and Western connotations and he didn't think Um, that was right for his programme, which was called Softly Sentimental. Ah, I get it. Where did you grow up? Tell me about your mom and dad and your family. I was born in Hollis Street Hospital. I went to school in Sink Street. I was born and raised in Milltown, Renola first. And your parents? Lovely parents. Uh, My dad was a great musician, played the trumpet, played the piano, 
sang a bit. He thought he was Bing Crosby. <laughs> And he couldn't get over people coming up to me and asking for autographs and all. He didn't, didn't, couldn't get his head around that, you know. I said, you're just jealous, Dad. <laughs> but he was good. And your mom? Mom was a Nat King Cole, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. She loved all that stuff, you know. I enjoyed listening to her singing. She was a great singer. And do you think that's where you got your encouragement to sing? I suppose your dad, though, with the trumpet, there was music in both of them. Dad had more... A musical education, but my mother was the one who encouraged me. She loved singing and she loved anything to do with singing. And she came from a background of singers. All They were all singers and they all thought they were great, you know. And we'd have a great bit of laugh in the pub in Ring's End. I was always invited to the parties to make sure there was a good bit of a sing song going. And all of our family sang, you know. My sister Flo was a great singer. My sister Olive was a soprano and... Oh, my brother was a piano player. My other brother was a guitar player in the Nevada show band. Uh, my younger brother was my manager for like 30 years. So we did, we had a real musical family. When can you remember was your own magnificent voice really first noticed? Well, I wouldn't go along with the magnificent bit, but I first discovered it when my Auntie Maggie and my Auntie Molly, who were my father's two sisters, they gave me two shillings to sing a song. And I said, uh, oh, no, I don't want to sing because I was very shy. How old were you about now? I was about 17 now, probably looking to go to one of the hops. So she said, I'll give you two shillings if you sing a song for your mummy and me and Auntie Molly. So I said, can I turn around and not look at you? So I turned around and didn't look at them. And I sang um, Autumn Leaves. The autumn leaves pass by my window. That's a lovely song. Mm. So I sang that for my mum. Got the two, Bob. Went to turn your rugby club. <laughs> Don't know what happened after that, but it was a great night. It was a great night. It was and was it after that you joined the Dublin Opera Choir? The Dublin Grand Opera Society had yeah. uh, auditions, so I went in for the auditions, and they said, "Yeah, come on in. We're looking for tenors." So I did that, and uh, we had a, a short run with them. And I used to play the drums, so I played the drums, and I was getting like eighteen pounds a week when it was worth. In today's money, maybe 500. Wow, a lot it of would money. Have been, it mm. would easily have been that, you know. And then I had an awful crash one night. We were coming home from this big pub in uh, Kappa, Fing- Fingless. I was coming home with this guy in his, in his car and his wife was in the front seat and she got killed in the accident. I was in the back of the car. They never knew what happened. Woke up in Jervis Street Hospital and um, that was a sad occasion. After the accident, the manager said, why don't you come back and just sing? He said, you don't need to play the drums anymore. He said, you're good at the singing. So I did that. And it was a tragic time in, in one respect, but it kind of started me off at the singing for money in the big pub and the Drake Inn, the Kappa House, those two big pubs. They held like four or 500 people. But that experience yeah. of that crash... Mm. That must have been horrendous. Frightening. To wake up and to be told that the lady in the front seat was killed was just very, very sad, very, very frightening. But, and it, would, it, would, it, would, it was so simple. I remember we were driving in the, the main Fingless to Dublin Road. Mm. I think the car just went into a, a bit of a spin, hit a lamppost. Ambulance is called. I was out unconscious. 
woke up in Jervis Street Hospital and it was a scary time. Look, he then moved on to, I think, was it Red Hurley in the Wheels? Red Hurley in the Wheels, yeah. That was a great band. It was. How old were you r- roughly now? About 18, 19, 18 okay. or 19, yeah. Oh, that was a great time. They were a great band and we were, we were all great pals. And then I got offered a job in the Nevada after a year and a half. And there was um, a lot more money in that. And immediately I made a record. It's called Sometimes, which was written by Les Reed and Barry Mason, who went on to become the best part of my career. They, they wrote all the songs. Les was a, an absolute gentleman and a wonderful, ta- wonderful talent, piano player. And he wrote a lot of music and co-wrote a lot of music with John Barry, who had written the James Bond things. Oh, yeah. They knew what they were doing, these guys. And, of course, the Nevada, mm. as a show band, mm. remind people or tell people who wouldn't know how big they were. Oh, it was fantastic. Well, it was Red Hurley, Kelly, who was in a, a, a lovely, beautiful girl from Cork. Then the band was eight-piece yeah. band, three brass and four rhythm. And that, that all worked very, very well. My brother Liam was the, was the musical director of the band. And I was the main singer and Kelly was the main singer. It was a wonderful three and a half years. Made a lot of money at the time. How famous were you then? <laughs> it was a bit frightening how famous it was. People wouldn't realise today. Mm. They'd say show bands and show bands. It was very, very exciting. Like, for instance, there was one night in Cork. There was like five or six bouncers at the band room door to get you from the band room onto the stage. With the crowds mm. was a massive crowd. I mean, like two or three thousand people of a Wednesday night. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I still <laughs> love it. I still love it. I hate the traveling. The last big traveling thing I did was in America when we had to change a state, different state every day. Today you were in Florida. Tomorrow you were in Atlanta. The day after you were in New York. The day after you were in Toronto. Next day you're in Chicago, working your way around our America. And that was okay, but the the problem was you have to get up every morning at six or seven o'clock, mm. get to the airport, go through immigration, go through customs, go through security, go through all of the things that you don't that we all hate in traveling. Yeah, every day, and then when you get to the the concert hall, you have to rehearse for like an hour, go through your program, whatever it was going to be, and you didn't want the last thing you wanted to do was start singing in the <laughs> afternoon because you're tired. Yeah. There was no need for it, it really, but. Each day a different state, each day the same rehearsal. Oh, it was a nightmare. And I said to Norma, my wife, I says, I'm giving this up. I can't, I can't keep this going. It's just too much for me. I love what I'm doing, but I don't love the travelling. The travelling. Now, you represented Ireland in mm. Eurovision in mm. 1976. How did that come about and did you enjoy it? Yeah, I liked it. And I enjoyed it very much. And there was a fella called... Tony Hillier and Tony had written this song for for the Brits and it was called uh, Save All Your Kisses For Me uh-huh. <laughs> and it had, had a kind of a, an overtone of um, tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree mm-hmm. and the Irish people when we were at rehearsing when they'd come in off the, the stage it was a huge big auditorium and as soon as they'd walk off the stage our, our Irish crowd would start singing uh, Oh, tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. If we can hear you, we know what you're saying. We know what you're trying to do. And they weren't trying to do anything. The Irish just having a bit of crack, you know. But uh, it was great fun. And the song, when we're going to listen to now, written by the great Brendan Graham. Brendan came to my house 
This was his first, uh, the first song he had ever written. And he said to me, uh, uh, I have a song for you. So we went into the piano and he started singing. And I said, well, don't give up the day job now with the singing. Because <laughs> he was brutal. <laughs> and he, he, he says that. He's, he's a smashing fella. He's an elegant guy. And anyway, he says, um, what do you think? I think it's good. I said, I think it's good. And he says, would you make a demo of it? I says, yeah, I'll make a demo of it. So I made a demo for sent it into RTE. And I was in Killarney one night and they said, it's RTE on the phone. You've been picked to do the national contest. Or would you be into it? Because you had to go through the... Mm-hmm. So I said, yeah, sure, no problem. That was basically how that happened. We're going to listen to it now. This okay. is your song that you sang, written by Brendan Graham, for us in the Eurovision in 1976. It's called When. When will you come back to me? Release me, set me free. That's a beautiful song, When. When you said Brandon Graham, like when he was trying to convince you to yeah. do it, he said it's got lots of meaning. What is it about? Do you know? It's a sad song. I think it's a breakup song. I think it's a song where he's trying to say to her, oh, my thoughts run on to you when, I, when I'm having a bad time mm. because I love you. And of course, Save All Your Kisses For Me went on to win, didn't it? Despite yes. the Irish delegation. It did indeed, yeah. Save All Your Kisses is a great song. It was a very clever little song, a catchy song. And a Eurovision type song. But um, you obviously had great success here with the Nevada and your own band. Was it more difficult to break the UK market? Tommy Hayden was my manager at the time. Tommy was a lovely man, a gentleman. He had sadly died with a brain tumour. But um, Tommy organised a, a radio show for me with BBC Radio 2, which was a wonderful thing to do. And I used to end up going on Monday mornings to London and doing uh, five songs and you'd record them with the orchestra. So Tommy was very helpful with the right people and we got me a deal with Redbus Records. It was a tough battle if you wanted to try. And also I was told you must move over to London and stay for at least six months a year so that we can have you available for anything we might need you to do. But we were, we were making a pile of money in Ireland. You know, you weren't making it in Britain. And enjoying yourself. And enjoying yourself, yeah. One thing I was surprised and I didn't know was your relationship and friendship with the amazing American author, Maya Angelou. <coughs> Tell me about that. She was an absolutely incredible, special person. And I had a fan, a gentleman called George Brown, Robert Brown, sorry. And Robert was retired from the government, American government, and he was uh, very well known and very well liked. And he called me one day and he said, where are you? He says, I'm in New York, I said. And he says, where in New York are you? I said, I'm on the Brooklyn Bridge. Well, see, when you get to the other side of a turnaround and come back to Harlem, he says, and I'll, I'll call you on your mobile phone. And so he did that. And uh, so he gave me the address and knocked on the door. And there was a guy called Michael Feinstein, keyboard player, singer. And... Come on in, we're waiting for you. I saw it. They're not waiting for me. But Mr. Brown had told them about me in Ireland and singing and etc. My Angela knew more about Ireland than I did, even though she was a, a, a lady of 80, uh, well, 70 something at the time. And she was black. 
You would never have expected her to know. She knew everything about everything. There was nothing, Miriam, that you and her couldn't have discussed for 10 hours. And she said, uh, oh, so you're a red hurley. You're the guy with the voice. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, yeah. <laughs> Trying not to be too. So she says, I'd love to hear you singing something. So I said, okay. So I sang something for her. And then that was grand. And um, that lasted f- for the remainder of the evening. Well, I left her house at about half past. What did you sing? Basically, Sinatra-type stuff. Okay. You know, those kind of songs. When we were finished, she said to me, are you around for a few days? I said, I am. Well, she said, I'd like you to do a radio interview with me, she said. And she said, it's um, for the Oprah Winfrey Network. And I said, I said, oh, great, lovely. I'd love that. So, um, and um, so all of that just started to f- become part of a reality. And there was times when you'd have to pinch yourself. So Maya said, I'm, I'm going to get your stuff played, some of your recordings played on the black stations and there was a considerable amount of station anyway we did PBS and and she wanted me to, to record uh, songs uh, from gospel music so I said okay I'd love to do that and we started to, to put together some stuff uh, wonderful stuff uh, with fantastic choirs and the, the music was just delightful and it brought me right back to my youth so that's how I met Maya in the first place. And then she invited me to do a gig with her in Saks of Fifth Avenue. And Maya was hosting it. And then she, during the thing, she, she called me up to sing. I know one of the songs that Maya loved you to sing and always asked you to sing was How Great Thou Art. Mm. And Oprah loved that too. I was at a party in Winston-Salem. Beautiful house. This turned out to be Maya's house. Another house that she owned. And the big yellow Rolls Royce outside. Myself and uh, Dr. Brown went to the party. So the next thing is three big black Cadillac Jeeps, if you like, pulled up outside the door. Two big, huge guys got out of the car and then Oprah got out with Stedman Graham. And, uh, and her partner, two, yeah. Yeah, her partner. Lovely fella, great mm-hmm. guy. Giant of a man. So my, the, the, the party started and it was a big kind of a marquee. And there was waiters going around and, and everything else. It was like something from a movie, you know. Anyway, I said, what am I doing here? <laughs> the next thing is, Maya, in her beautiful voice, she says, and now, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to invite you to listen to me, to listen to this gentleman I know referred to as my son. I said, she couldn't be talking about me, surely, to Jesus. <laughs> but she was. And she says, Red, sing How Great Thou Art for me, please. So I sang it, no microphones or nothing, you know. That was great. Went lovely. People all cheered. They stood up and everything. And I said, oh, I love this party. You know, this is a great party. <laughs> I had sang my song and I was finished. And I went over to the bar to get a drink. I heard Oprah Winfrey's voice. And then she said, that was my mother's favourite song. And it was now, it's now my favourite or something like, something very nice, you know, something very, and, uh, oh, sister, you uh, couldn't be. So I'm pinching myself, you know. But it was. And she says, you're going to have to come and sing for Steadman in, in Chicago in, in a couple of months' time. She said, would you do that for me? I said, I will. I'd be delighted to. So I did. And it was great. So at this time, I did eight songs, not one. And, and Oprah and Steadman's party. And Oprah. And again, there's the same uh, Cadillac 
limousines open the door. It's a long way from the pub in Ring's End. Yeah. <laughs> but look, we're going to listen now okay. to you singing that it's beautiful a long way song. From the pub in Ring's How great thou art. Then sings my soul. You read there singing How Great Thou Art. Beautiful hymn. And I know it was Maya Angelou's favourite song and she loved you. When you look back in your life and we come towards the end of this interview, do you feel very lucky with the life you've had? I feel really, really, really lucky. There's times when I don't believe some of the things that's happened to me. Yeah? But it's great that it has happened. Was... And your voice. I noticed a short while ago you were singing at a funeral that I happened mm. to be at and your voice is still really strong. Do you work to keep it strong? Yeah, oh, I do, yeah, I do. I, I'd have to. I think most singers, singers do have to work at keeping the voice clear, you know. And, and, and you've got lots of gigs coming up, which um, I know on November the 4th, you're in the Civic Theatre in Tallaght. That's sold out. But you're also on the 12th of November in Tour Ard in Moat on the 25th of November in the Town Hall in Clare Morris and on the 27th in Woodcock in Ennis and you're in the Pavilion in Dunleary on December the 1st. Well, that's the best plug I've had this year. <laughs> <laughs> you deserve it. Red Hurley, thank you very much for being my guest this it's morning. It's a pleasure, thank you. Tweet at Miriam O'Call. Well, really warm reaction to Red Hurley here. I'll bring you some of our texts. Great to hear Red on the radio. What a brilliant natural voice. I've never heard an Irish singer as good as Red Hurley. Keep it going. Another says, interesting, Miriam, that Red sang his song with his back to his aunts. Dolores O'Reardon used to sing on stage with her back to the audience in her younger days too. Anna Newcastle says, amazing Red Hurley, always a gentleman and a great singer. Well done, Red. I'll bring you one last one. Tom in Dublin 9 says, Miriam, Red stopped me in my tracks. How great he sure is. Great to hear the legendary voice and national treasure Red Hurley on the show. That's from Paul in Cork.